sometimes you interview people and they are good for the role, but and you put them forward, but you don't really enjoy the conversation. Like you know, it's just this and that and that and that. They mark everything that you're looking for and you're good. You pass them forward. But sometimes you meet with very enthusiastic, very energetic people. They are like very genuine in how they express themselves. And dude, you would go to war for them. Like you, you relate to that person so hard that even if they go through the interview and somebody gives feedback that you don't agree with, you'd actually go to work for them and say that this guy is good and told me A, B, C, D, you know. So ah. I'm able to establish that connection. Hey, man, it's, it's lovely. My name is Haman Kibue, and in this episode, I'll be co-hosting uh, with my good friend Steve Kibuika. Yeah, Steve, what are we talking about today? Um, yeah, so the year is 2023. Uh, uh, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, Shopify, everyone is laying off people. And it is arguably one of the hardest times to find a job and one of the hardest times to also keep a job. And so without one of the best conversations we could have right now is the whole recruitment side of things. And who better to talk to about recruitment than the man himself, Michael Gasha. What's yeah. up, Michael? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, introduce yourself. Great. So my name is Michael Gasha. I'm currently working as a senior technical sourcer at Volvo Cars. I would say I have around seven years in the industry and five of them recruiting for tech talent uh, within Africa and Europe. Yeah, nice. interesting. Tell us about uh, the, the, the different, what, uh, the different uh, jobs you've been to. I can see your profile is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably start with the most recent one. I'm actually four months into working with Volvo Cars, hiring for product managers, engineering managers, and developers right now. Uh, probably my scope will increase as the year progresses. We'll see about that. But uh, previously, I've worked with Microsoft as a technical sourcer again across EMEA. And then previously, I've also worked with Volt and Andela. All right. Hmm, interesting. Uh, how... So I think uh, you were at Andela before I joined, actually. Yeah, Ooh, I think we didn't overlap as much. But I when I saw your profile, I was like super, super delighted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, if this was a physical meetup, you'd have that. Does Andela have like a secret handshake? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I'm here uh, feeling, feeling principles for Andela. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a great place, and I have lots of friends and a very huge network of like engineers and uh, you know all the other people that you worked with at Andela. It was an amazing place. Yeah, How I mean, still is common. <laughs> uh, I liked I, I I liked Mandela very much. It sort of made me who I'm who who I am today. Like in terms of the solidifying the basics of software engineering and uh, the practices and how to communicate. I think um, I'll owe that to Mandela. Yeah, you and me both. I think I also owe like my tech recruitment career to Mandela because that's where I hired my first engineer in Nigeria. 
and it's it's been an exciting journey. I'm happy that opportunity came along when it did. Nice. And I mean, Andela has played a huge role in the tech of ecosystem. A lot of the energy that goes around is just energy that bounced off Andela and the people who are at Andela. Yeah. I mean, every tech meetup should have like a like a, a moment of appreciation for what Andela did. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about recruitment and uh, I know we were speaking earlier and haven't said recruitment is very personal to me. <laughs> and yeah, it is. It is. Um, I mean, and like most people, um, we, we usually just get this other side of I, 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 I saw a button, I pressed that button to send in my application, I filled in a few details, and then I sent it. And then there's the other side of someone messaged me and they told me they, they would like to, to interview me, and that's that. So there's this side that developers would see, but then there's the other side where you actually operate. And so yeah, just give us some insights of how that looks like. Yeah, and right, if, we right. can, if you have forgotten about the phone call that developers re usually receive, and uh, in this phone call, in some cases, you are not prepared like it is going to be something very sweet, something very smooth. You're just prepared also with your technical abilities, but you, are, you, you, you get... Uh, worried that from the entire call, actually it was just introducing myself and uh, no, nothing with, about Python or something. <laughs> yeah. So I think I will also talk about that. What are you actually looking for in, those, in, the, in the different stages of uh, the recruitment? Yeah. Yeah, lovely, lovely. So looking at like the entire structure of a typical recruitment team, uh, you know, you would have the engineering managers or the people who actually manage the recruiters so you know in terms of leadership those would be the first people up there and then the teams would be broken down into three so you'll find that there is a team of recruiters so every time you come across a job on a website on linkedin you click apply and they take your cv that goes into the company's database where somebody is going to review and see if you actually are fit for the job so in most cases that would be uh, the recruiter uh, at the same time, we have a scheduling team that helps with scheduling of the interview. So if we are available on Monday, but the interview is available on Tuesday, how do we manage that whole back and forth to ensure that everybody has a delightful experience and you get a good chance to showcase your skills, right? And then there is another team that's uh, pretty new in the recruitment world, like in terms of how it's been defined, and that's the sourcing team. So in most cases, you'll find that uh, for some of the positions, uh, the kind of applications that you get are either not many enough for you to be able to select uh, you know, a good pool of qualified candidates to interview, or in some cases, the applications you're getting are not entirely, uh, you know, they don't entirely fit the job. So that's why now you bring in sourcers. So sourcers are more like salespeople for the job markets, right? So in the same way, somebody will approach you and sell you life insurance. In the same way, a sourcer will approach you and talk to you about an exciting opportunity they have within the organization and how you are a fit for it. Oh, so, okay. So for the yeah. sourcer team, for the sourcing team, I think is at that instance, when you say like they are sort of a marketing, they'll also speak about the perks, uh, different perks in that job or something. Yes. 
So, mm. I mean, Asosa can also work as a recruiter. Like, they are interchangeable in a way because even if I'm a recruiter and I am not finding enough applications for my role, then I'll start going out to the market and actually asking people to speak to me and hear what I have to say about the job, right? So, those two are interchangeable. Uh, while most people will say that there are no jobs, a recruiter will tell you that there are no candidates. What they mean is there are no qualified candidates for the specific roles that they're hiring for, right? So you find that in most cases, uh, the best people for your job are probably not in the market for a new adventure or for a new gig right now. So you actually have to give them a white glove treatment. You have to appeal to them and what they are passionate about and actually convince them that your organization is going to either give them the career opportunities they're looking for, the growth prospects they want, or you have a great, amazing culture and they belong with you as opposed to the current company they are working with. So you'll find, like in most cases, these guys are probably very well paid where they are, they are treated well, they feel that you know they're making a real impact in the organization, in the society. So they're maybe not looking to move. So how do you convince them then to switch sides. So we talk about the culture, you talk about the perks that your organization offers that probably their current employer doesn't, and like what's in it for them if they want to, I mean, what's in it for them if they join the organization. Okay, so um, how do you, because now I'm curious, how would you know this is the kind of person, how do you actually find this person before deciding this is the kind of person I want to, I want to how would you find that yeah. person? How does, how does that ideal person look like? Uh, there is a lot of work that actually goes into determining who you want to reach out to and why you are reaching out to them, right? So you'll want to maybe do some market research, see which organizations are actually hiring for the kind of talent that you're also interested in, what makes them good, uh, and then you have to define like what's your outreach strategy how do you reach out to this person and convince them to come to your side of things what do they care about or what are they most interested in okay okay and the so so i'm assuming you'd use platform so it is either yeah. you know this person personally or you would use platforms like linkedin and then you'd like basically stock yeah it is like yeah. legal stocking Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So, just very, just the specifics of it. Just the specifics of it. Um. You're looking for a very specific role that you would like to fill, and how would you go about that? From how you would do it. All right. So, my first tool is always LinkedIn. Right. So, I mean, after you've been hiring for, say, software engineers for a while, then you also know which are some of the companies that you would like to target and how good they are. So, assuming you already have that information, then I go into LinkedIn and, uh, you know, I start identifying profiles. Uh, so, recruiters will have a different type of LinkedIn view or interface from the usual LinkedIn that we have as a personal account, right? So, that interface would allow me to input keywords. So, I want... Uh, full stack developer, I want them to have both JavaScript and React. I want them to have this number of years of experience. I want them to come from a company that's probably more than 500 people. So after I input all those variables, then LinkedIn will give me like a whole list of people who fit the profile. So then I'll just go checking one by one, see if they actually match up to what I'm looking for. I'll message the ones I like. 
or even if I get their phone numbers and I'll call them up and just do my sales pitch and see what they say about that. Okay, damn. Interesting. Wait, wait, you mean you'd filter by the size of the company that that person is in? <laughs> so every every position is different and every hiring manager will have different expectations, right? So uh, in most cases, they will say they want somebody working with a startup, for instance, right? So in that case, uh, the LinkedIn, um, that interface would give me an option to select how many people that uh, that person's organization has currently. So I'll get rid of people from corporates, I'll get rid of people from say Microsoft because that's a lot of people. And actually zero down to people with say 50 to 100, uh, companies with 50 to 100 people, then I know that's like the sweet spot for the startups and then reach out to those ones. Okay. <laughs> I, no, I, I get the reason why you're saying that uh, from, the pers- uh, from a recruiter's perspective, there are no enough like, uh, uh, people to hire because I think with those spe- uh, specific specifications, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the filtering so, that I goes mean, in. <laughs> LinkedIn allows you to do that, but we also like use other different tools as well just to identify the right profile. But what happens is all roads will lead back to LinkedIn, right? So I could go and stack overflow. Like if I'm looking for this driven this subject matter expert in say a language like rust or scala or elixir like something that's not like very very common then i could go to say stack overflow or i could go to github and actually see people who contribute that kind of content right but after i've seen their projects i want to go back to linkedin to be able to determine how many years of you know production level experience they have like working with actual companies and then be able to reach out to them from there I could also do Twitter, just people see people who probably be, you know, talking about a given uh, subject, say if I'm looking for cryptocurrency or Web3, then Twitter might be a good place to see who's chatting about that. But eventually I want to walk back to their LinkedIn and see how long they've actually um, been in the market, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is the side of you finding that person. But then there's also the side of that person finding the job and applying. Um, yes. It, it, what's the magic there? Uh, finding uh, finding a job online right now is, uh, I would say it's easy and it's hard. It depends on what your strategy is, right? So, uh, like for me, when I was looking for a new job, I went on LinkedIn. I tracked down who is hiring. And then after I have the companies, I look at who are the managers in that company. Who is the most likely person? to influence uh, for me to get the job. Because you'll find for most of the common positions, you'll have hundreds, if not thousands of applications coming into the applicant tracking system. So how does the recruiter on the other side actually determine who's a good fit or how do you ensure that they actually see your profile and then decide from that, right? So to give you some sort of visibility or to like make you stand out that you have to do a bit more work, uh, go to LinkedIn, do a bit of networking, find out who's hiring, who's the recruiter, then ping them, probably ping both of them, because chances are one of them will see your message and they might refer you for the position. Okay, you you mentioned something, the mm. application tracking system, ATS. Yeah. Um, yes. it, it has to be one of those things that everyone is trying to befriend, that, that's robot, that everyone is mm. trying to be a friend of. And 
they they usually just talk around making your CV ATS readable and stuff like that. Um, do CVs have to be ATS readable? Uh, well, <laughs> I think that's a marketing gimmick that's being pushed by you know either people who like do CVs or like uh, LinkedIn optimization profiles. Uh, there is an aspect of truth to it, but there is also a way you can actually be able to work on your CV so that you know either the recruiter can be able to pick it up, or uh, even when you apply through the system, then you would kind of still stand out. Okay, so what I'm getting at is for you to have a CV that really represents you well, it needs to have the keywords, the right kind of keywords. It needs to showcase what you are doing within a given company. And then that way, uh, the recruiters will be able to read and actually see what you did. So there is no nothing as having an ATS that automatically screens people. It's more around uh, how much information is in your CV, such that if I want to search my database, then your CV would pop up because it contains certain keywords. Like a good example would be if you want to apply for a job in the US. Uh, in most cases, they probably don't want to sponsor your relocation or like your visa status, right? So they could have like a question in the application that asks, uh, do you need visa support with this kind of a position? Now, if you say yes, that's probably going to be like an automatic rejection in the sense that um, they're not willing to do that. So that's already a big factor. And even if you lied and then you go to the interview, then tell them you need the support, you're still going to fail. So in this case, it's not that the ATS fail you, but it's like the circumstances of the application and the role that actually fail you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. basically all there is to the ATS. Interesting. Um... Okay, I'm not sure if you can speak of this, but uh, when a company says whether you'd like um, that some sort of sponsorship to go to, to work from there, do they mean you you can also choose to sponsor yourself to go there? Or do they mean, you, you know, okay, this is what I Yeah, get. yeah, yeah. They, they can, yeah, give me, they can that... help me get the work visa, but then mm-hmm. they want to know if I'll need help to go there, which I, which I usually wonder, do they also mean if I can take myself there and accommodate myself, they also could fail? So that they just get me the one visa. Or do they mean them helping me get the one? Or, or another point, uh, perspective, does it mean that you are uh, sort of a, sort of like a budget to them? So you are sort of expensive to their budget in this case? All right. Theoretically, it could work, right? Theoretically, if like you have the money, it could work. But in practice, it's going to be very hard because, uh, like you know, when you when you need to go and work in a different country, that company has to actually convince the government to let you in to give you a work permit or to give you the visa, right? So, uh, if say for instance, they already have qualified people in that country who can take up the job then from a government perspective, they might want to hire internally, like inside that country before they start hiring people from other countries. So the first one is the legal perspective. It depends on whether the government will actually grant that request to get somebody from a different country, as opposed to having that job being done internally. Number two is the cost impact. 
it's going to be like very very expensive to actually process that work on your own and also take care of your relocation to that country so if i in most cases on country companies want to relocate people they actually maybe pay for their flight they pay for their accommodation for the first couple of months as you get on your feet so if you say you want to do that on your own it might be a bit tough okay and then the, uh so the paperwork part as well so like just being able to get somebody from this country to go and work in a different country would also involve like a lot of paperwork do they have the manpower to actually chase down that paperwork even if you're paying for yourself okay um still still on this part of the developer sending the application there's usually um, the provision for sending in a cover letter and yeah. most of the times it will be written this option um, but how significant does a cover letter contribute to the decision of you getting it? Yeah, and another thing, what should uh, a cover letter entail? Because I think I, I usually find myself uh, toiling to write a cover letter. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not a very big fan of cover letters. Um, I just prefer to see the LinkedIn profile or the resume because that contains a lot more information, right? But some companies will actually ask you to attach a cover letter as well. And this is especially for junior position, kind of junior positions, because then again, your LinkedIn, your work experience is not that much. You probably only have like worked at one other place previously. So they're going to hire you for your potential than what your experience is so in that case uh the cover letter would make sense and it's like you know you are pitched to the company that if you hire me that this is what i bring on board um you know i'm a lifelong learner i'm motivated stuff like that so um a lot of companies are actually moving away from asking for cover letters because it kind of lengthens your application process as a candidate if you go to a website and they have all these different questions and it's taking you five, 10 minutes to fill in the application, chances are that the very good people who are qualified for the role are also probably not that motivated to spend 10 minutes of their time in convincing you how you should hire them. Like you should be able to see the value without making them jump through all the different hoops, right? And then how man, coming back now to your question, like what should a cover letter entail? Um, it's basically like a selling document about who you are, what your skills are, or like what you bring to the table. If you don't have a lot of experience, you could talk about like, you know, which school you went to, what you studied, if you got a first class, uh, and then you can also talk about your motivation. So are you interested in the position? Like, why are you interested in that specific company? How does it align to either your career objectives or like what you're passionate about? So if you're applying to an NGO, then you know you could tie that up to your passion to actually help people. If you're applying to organizations around climate change and things like that, then you can say whether you've been part of clubs or part of other projects, personal projects that actually speak to, like they show the alignment between your profile, what you're passionate about, and what the organization is actually working on. There are a lot of resources online where you can just like be able to generate a cover letter, like you give them the main points about yourself and they, you know, with AI and everything, they'll generate like a very nice, very convincing cover letter. But I don't know how many people are actually going to read it and, uh, you know, evaluate your candidacy based, based on that. Okay, okay. So clearly you're a very big fan of LinkedIn. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so 
besides besides a really um, having like a really good LinkedIn, which I mean, with, okay, now my question has changed. How does a good LinkedIn profile look like for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very good question. Uh, a good LinkedIn profile is one that is very complete and gives me as much information about the candidates as I would need to reach out to them. So, I mean, we have the summary bit and then we have the work experience bit. And those are the two main areas that you can really, really sell yourself. So, uh, under the summary bit, just talk to me about, like, if it's for a developer, what programming languages are you most proficient in? And then you can also talk about, uh, are you open to relocation? Which locations in that case would you want to move to? Uh, are you looking for a full-time contract or what kind of a position are you looking for? Uh, you find people like will even say, please do not contact me for contract positions. So I know before I reach out to you and probably take your time like reading my message, I know not to reach out to you if what I have doesn't uh, align with what you said you are looking for in your summary bit. Uh, the other thing would be around keywords. So you can have those in the summary bit so that when I run my search, then your profile pops up. You can either use the summary bit and just, you know, at the bottom, write keywords and then keywords, full colon, React, Node, AWS, all of those things. Then when I'm looking for people with React and AWS, uh, your profile will pop up. Uh, for work experience, uh, if it's a well-known company and you're able to link it to your LinkedIn, like if I click on that link, I can actually go and see what the company does. That's great. You probably don't have to tell me then what they do, right? But I want to know what were you doing within the company? What's the product you are working on? Did you have any achievements? Say you helped the company save, I don't know, 30,000 or 300,000 in some sort of costs. If you have those kind of achievements, list them down as well. And then, uh, you know, the stack that you used, what the products, what product it is that you are building, and that, that would be good. All right. Yeah. So just look at how important uh, LinkedIn is. Kibuika. Yeah. So I just looked at my profile and then I realized I don't even have a summary and I was like, okay, can't write this. <laughs> yeah. So I need to write up something. Um, so yeah. So, so, so now there's so LinkedIn. LinkedIn, as you said, is one of those places you look at a profile and so yeah. Um, but then there are other things that people do. People have a personal portfolio, or they have a speaker deck, or they have a YouTube channel, they have a podcast like us. And mm. yeah, how do those things now contribute to making this person just awesome for, for the world? Well, the main question would be how do I find your portfolio? Like the first, so that uh, I'm able to review it, how best are you going to present it to me so that I, I know to click that link and follow through? Right. So again, still on LinkedIn, you can be able to attach some of the other links you have to your GitHub, to your Stack Overflow, if you're answering questions there. Uh, you can also leave your email address or like make it open so that it's easier to contact you. And then if you are running, say, like a podcast or you are in a you are a guest in some, you know, either mentorship or you are training people on something, you need to be able to showcase that. So under the featured section, you can drop either it's the images of the, you know, the flyers that are used to market the event. Uh, you know, those will show 
what exactly it is that you are talking about. And that also means that you are a subject matter expert in that specific area. So if I'm looking for that, then, you know, it, it pops up easily. So I guess the first thing is accessibility. Make sure that you can be able to find it. And then also make sure that if I click, like if you have a personal website that you set up four years ago and haven't paid for the domain, so the link is now broken, but what does that say about you as a developer if the link you gave me to your website is not working, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Including the projects that uh, maybe you did some time back and uh, currently you are not supporting them. I think it's good practice just to remove them from your profile. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you worked with PHP five years ago and you're no longer interested in PHP opportunities, then please remove it from your LinkedIn so that when I'm looking for PHP developers, I don't reach out to you for a technology that you don't care so much about right now. Yeah. <laughs> that example is so spot on because Haman was working with PHP. <laughs> <laughs> it's not personal, Haman. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, okay, um, Haman and I have had this conversation before, and it is the conversation of just someone being active, actively talking about the things that someone is doing, like whether it is an event I, I spoke at, just being active and say in on, on LinkedIn or even on Twitter, mainly LinkedIn. And yeah, so how significantly would that also play a part in? Just someone presenting themselves properly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen like, and Twitter is—it's actually very good that you bring up Twitter because it's also like a very good place for people to track what your activity has been and then be able to reach out to you for opportunities. I mean, I've seen somebody like Abel Masila. He keeps popping up on my timeline and what he's doing. And okay, I probably also know him from a previous place, so that's probably a biased opinion. But I've also seen other people like Sharon Jebitok and Fred and what they are doing, like it keeps popping up. So even if I'm looking for referrals or I want to hire somebody with a different skill set from theirs, I will know to reach out to them and ask if they know somebody else who would fit what I'm looking for. Does that make sense? So yeah. like that being visible and tweeting about the events that you've attended or things that you learned, it also helps in, in building your credibility and making it easier for people to find you. Okay, okay, okay. I, um, I, I, I'm not sure if I should be saying this, but it, we, we've had these conversations a lot. One, because we, we, we run a podcast and one of the reasons why we also want to do this is not just only to talk to people about interesting things, but to also prove to people that there are people out here who are doing interesting things in as much as they don't talk. I mean, even just among ourselves. And I think that is something we are constantly learning. 30 minutes ago, 50 minutes ago, I was asking Haman if he, he has sent out a call for speakers for an event happening uh, a month from now. And so, yeah. I think that is a constant theme with people, just being able to talk about the things that you're doing, whether they are projects or places you're speaking at. And yeah, it's nice to hear that that also contributes yeah. to that. Yeah. And on LinkedIn, I think another skill that uh, I was given as an advice uh, is you see the skills part of the of your LinkedIn profile. Like uh, if you are, you are, you are a, let's say a Python developer, a Golang developer, uh, 
just do the the LinkedIn skills part to upgrade yourself and uh, put it open like for the public to see. I think they really help in the algorithm uh, while for the keyword generation part. Yes, yeah. yes, a lot. Um, so, I mean, there's two ways to work with LinkedIn. There is the paid version that allows me to also go into to target a specific part of your profile, right? So I'll have that drop down for skills and then I can select on them to have either, I don't know, front-end, back-end or Python. And then the research, the search results that I get back would be for people who actually passed those tests. So that's one way to look at it. Number two, if I'm just searching on Google, like go to google.com, search LinkedIn in Kenya, and then pass in all the different keywords that I'm looking for in a profile, if you have Python listed as a skill, I'm still going to get a hit. I'm still going to get your profile. So it's like, I'm, what I'm getting at is every opportunity that you actually get to put in keywords, don't stuff them everywhere, but every opportunity that you get to put keywords that talk about your profile, please use it because it helps you come up in searches and now somebody will have the opportunity to review the whole profile and see the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so up to this point, we've mainly focused on um, getting, getting, um, getting noticed or sending an application to to the right places. So, um, uh, could you speak a bit about now, uh, very quickly, maybe just how you also position yourself in a way that you actually end up getting this call. Uh, so like during the interview process, right? Yes. Oh, that's a good one. So uh, the structure of most developer interviews would start with a code challenge. And then that's after you've spoken with your recruiter, then the code challenge, then you have a technical interview. And then they do uh, either, they call it leadership or like culture fit or values alignment. But it's basically like seeing who you are as a person, what's your personality like, how well do you fit with the team, how well do you collaborate, and stuff like that. Right. So if you're looking to like, you know, set yourself up for success initially when you're you start interviewing, one of the things would be familiarize yourself with like some of the common uh, platforms that companies will use for code challenges. So Codility, HackerRank. Uh, which is uh, qualified, at least be sure that you understand how they work, how they grade your work, so that uh, you know what to expect when that code challenge finally comes through. Uh, when you speak with your recruiter, uh, it's good to get like as much information as possible about the role, the hiring manager, what the team is trying to achieve, so that you can be able now to start drawing from your past experience and how that would help you, like how that relates to the position that you're interviewing for. Right. So um, when you have those covered, I think most developers will probably drop off at the code challenge interview just because in most cases it's like, you know, um, automatically graded by some of the systems, but uh, other organizations will probably have senior devs actually looking into your code and seeing what your thought process was around it. So anyway, successfully you've gone through the recruiter interview and you've gone through the code challenge, you're ready to speak to the technical interviewer. So this engineers are trained by the organizations to evaluate like uh, what your technical, uh, like how good you are technically. So they might either go back to discussing the code challenge and where you came up with that specific solution, or they could start focusing on um, 
you know, other foundational areas, data structures and algorithms. Uh, they'll probably also give you the critical scenarios and just see how you're able to think through a given product and how you actually present your information. And then I'll finally, for the last bit, the leadership bit is more around how coachable you are, how teachable you are, and, you know, if you'll be able to take feedback and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, the other day, the other day I was listening to to some a uh, YouTube a uh, YouTube um, guy talking about um, some of the failures he's had um, with interviewing, and I think it is a thing most people um, don't understand. I didn't understand at first, and it is sometimes you're going to be rejected from the role for reasons that you don't have control over. Not because you're not good enough, just because they wanted something different or something like that. And so, yeah, that is true, right? Yes, All right. that happens a lot. Because when you go into an interview, you have like a specific skill set that you're bringing on board that you can't change. Uh, on the other hand, the hiring manager has in his mind the kind of a person, the specific person they want to work with. It could be from a technical perspective, like uh, what languages or databases or stuff like that that you've used, or it could be you know something different around, say, location, uh, because location would also like influence your work hours, right? If you're working with a company in the US and they probably want to hire somebody in India, then the overlap doesn't really make sense. So in a, even if you're like very good technically, but there are also those different factors that would make you not the greatest fit for that specific position. Yeah. Or you could be more senior than the position they're hiring for, and they feel that they won't be setting you up for success if they give you a position that doesn't really motivate you to do more or allow you to grow. Initially, when you have the first conversations with the recruiter, with the hiring manager, the, it's, it's better to just get a lot of those things out of the way, especially if you're interviewing for a job that's outside your country. So get to understand what their work hours are and also let them know if you're open to actually work late evenings, right? Like I think the guys with uh, Andela, most of them will work evenings to uh, probably, I don't know, around midnight or so because of that kind of a time difference. So the first question then would be, are you okay to work these hours? Or in your case, you can tell them I'm working from Nairobi. Is it okay like if I work, start work a bit later than you guys and then also finish, uh, you know, after probably everybody has left the office. I remember, for instance, sometime we were hiring for engineers in Egypt. And one of the main questions that you would always ask them is, how do you feel about, uh, because I think their weekend is from Friday to Saturday. So Sunday for them was a working day, but for us, Friday was a working day. So the first question was always, are you open to work Fridays? Uh, if they're good, then we move forward. But if it's a bit of a challenge for them, then you know maybe you get to talk to with the hiring managers and see if you can be able to accommodate that person and what time works for them. It's not always like 100% rejection, but it's definitely a conversation that you can have and see how you move forward from there. Okay, okay. Um, I guess you're coming to the end of this, and I'm just going to ask you a very general question. Um, you've been doing this for yeah around seven years. Um, how, in a very general way, in a very general way, how should a person present themselves and position themselves for this opportunity? 
in just in a very general All right, cool. So uh, to be able to position yourself for a job in tech, I think the main thing would be uh, just building your profile and your personal brand. How you do this is by attending talks and meetups and all the other tech events that are happening, but also being able to speak to um, the coordinators or the people who are running this project and ensure that they actually know you and they know where you are at in your career journey and what you'd be looking for. So this would help with referrals. Like if somebody were to reach out to them asking for, say, a junior Ruby developer, then you'd probably get that from the Nairobi meetup group and probably talk to you know one of the organizers there. Uh, the other thing would be on LinkedIn, just optimize your profile for maximum visibility. This could be from interacting with posts from different leaders in your field. You just interact with the post and give your opinion, as well as um, connecting with people, either they are hiring managers or like principal engineers or even recruiters, just connect with them long before the position actually comes up. So if you're interested with, say, working in Microsoft at some point, maybe find who are the recruiters and connect with them initially. And then as soon as the positions pop up, then it would be easier to ping them and be able to learn directly in the inboxes and express your interest in the position. Uh, when you reach out to a recruiter on LinkedIn, be very straight, be direct. Let them know that you've seen the role that you want to be interviewed for. And you could maybe do a one statement saying where you're a fit for the position. But the idea is not just to say hi and then wait for them to respond to your hi before you say what you're looking for, right? Yeah. So be very direct with them. And as soon as they see your message, they look at your profile. If you're a fit, then they'll decide if they actually want to contact you and have a chat. On the other hand, if you are approaching engineering leaders or like senior developers that you would want to recommend you to those positions, then you can do a bit of research, see what are the kind of posts that they have made on LinkedIn, what were they about, see if they have like some very interesting projects on GitHub or like some other place. And then you can use that as your opening line. Like, hey, I saw you answered this question on Stack Overflow. I was very impressed with the approach, stuff like that. And then let them know that you're looking for a job, a specific job, be sure to share with them the URL to that job post. So they, like, it's very specific and they don't have to go finding it on themselves. So, you know, let them know you're interested in that job and ask if they would be open to recommend you. Chances are, if they're not the ones who are directly hiring for the role, they'll know somebody within that department or within the team that's hiring and would be willing to put your name forward uh, for that kind of a position. Okay. Um... I mean, that, those have been some really good insights. And yeah, and just because I'm kind of into this process, this has been very personal for me. And I am grateful that you you brought all the wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I think uh, it's been great uh, seeing things from a recruiter's perspective. Been a learning position here. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for making time for this. Yeah. So, um, Ideally, we've come to the end of the episode, um, and we usually do this thing where we ask our guests to tell us something they're interested in currently. And yeah, so what are you interested in currently? None. Um, ideally, not work-related. Okay, it can be work-related, but just this is open. It can be a book, it can be a movie, it can be an activity. So yeah. Hmm. Interesting. 
So, um, Aaron, I've recently started working on my public speaking skills. So I recently joined uh, the Cattles Masters Club. I think I'm about to do my icebreaker speech next week. I've also started picking up self-development books. So currently doing How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And yeah. I think I can already see the impact of those lessons and I put them in use today. Okay. <laughs> Okay, if you ever want to speak more, you can just talk, tell us you want to speak more. And yeah, we, we give you episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much, Alan. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it, was, it was a pleasure having you. So where can the people find you and how can people reach out to you? Great. So um, I'm on Twitter at Gashamwas and um, I try to like, uh, you know, engage and respond to as many messages as possible. My DM is open, so if you ever want to chat, just ping me. It will go right through. Uh, on LinkedIn, Michael Gasha Recruiter. Like, after you have the LinkedIn URL and then you put Michael Gasha and Recruiter, I'm pretty sure it'll pop on the first page. Uh, via email, that would be michael.gasha at gmail.com. Nice. 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 Yeah. So that has been Michael Gasha. And uh, if you've listened this far, thank you very much. And yeah, catch you in yes. the next one. Thank you, Michael. Yes, yes. Bye. Uh, thank you.